There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Comedy Central. Did you miss last night's Daily Show with Trevor Noah? I know you guys didn't. You guys watch every night. Yep. Well, here's some news that will be music to your ears. The Daily Show is now a podcast. What? What? You can catch up on episodes by listening to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Huh, I get it. <laughs> you'll hear Trevor Noah and the world's fakest news team tackle the biggest stories in news, politics, and pop culture. It's just like The Daily Show, but for your ears. And studies show that ears are great for listening. And who are we to deny science? No one. We're no one. No one. The podcast includes highlights and extended interviews, as well as bonus material. Like Climate change is Emmy real. Any award-winning between-the-scenes moments with Trevor Noah and conversations from the archives with Hillary Clinton, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Bill Gates, Barack Obama, right, just easy to name, name a few. You know, yeah, name watch, watch your feet, people. Yeah, Trevor. Watch your feet, people. Mm-hmm. Daily Show's dropping names. Dropping names like the Met Gala. When the <laughs> national news cycle brings tone? you down. <laughs> what was that know. voice? Keep going, Tommy. Weird, Hurry. Weird, weird. Hurry. But if the national news cycle is bringing you down, let the incisive and insightful humor of the Daily Show Ears Edition bring you back up. Great. Subscribe now and listen to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition, available Tuesday through Friday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your ears on a podcast. Insightful and incisive, you say. Hey, everybody. I'm John Lovett, and you're listening to Crooked Conversations. We have a very special episode today. We are joined by DeRay McKesson, host of Pod Save the People and author of his new book, On the Other Side of Freedom. DeRay, how's it going? It's good. It's good. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to write a book. I'm excited the book is out and excited to share it with the world. So uh, for people listening, just what is what is the book about and, and why did you write it? Yeah, you know, we spent so, so much time in the streets in Ferguson and in cities across the country. And before that, I was an educator and done a lot of work with kids and families. And I wanted to think about, like, what are the most important stories to me and what are the lessons that I could share? You know, I listened to this sermon not too long ago, and the sermon was called Don't Tell Your Story Too Soon. Uh, which I thought was a great title. And what he says is that sometimes you can tell your story so soon, all you see is the pain, not the purpose. And if I had written a book three years ago, it would have been about the pain of protest. But now I was able to step back and say, like, what did I learn? Like, what did I want to share? So I write about everything from the protest to the police to what it means to be a gay black man in this space. I write about my mother. So many things I've never written full length about, I've only tweeted about. The chapter on your mother to me stands out because it's so personal and beautifully written. And you do tie it back into the work that you've been doing. What do you think about the activism we're seeing right now around the Kavanaugh hearings? You know, I think there's a lot of activists out there who feel as though enough people haven't been marshaled, that people aren't exercised enough about this. What what is your what is your feeling about this? I think some of it is that there are so many issues to pay attention to that people like don't even know where to look, right? So like you think about yesterday, you think about today, you think about this week, it's like Twitter and Facebook are testifying, Kavanaugh's happening, the Woodward book like is blowing things out of the water. Yes, there's so much to focus on. I think that people are interested in Kavanaugh. I think that what's resonating the most with the people I talk to is like where's the 
is more of the like, what, what are you hiding? Where is the papers? I think that the the wonky stuff about his positions on past things, I think that's not resonating with the public as much. But it is powerful to think about all those disruptions. Uh, you know, The Handmaid's Tale. Did you see that picture that yeah. people dressed up like? Like, I thought that people are being like really genius about how they're sort of challenging uh, this nomination. I love pictures of handmaids on their iPhones that <laughs> I really always appreciate. You know, in the past, so so you sort of rose to prominence around protesting injustice and police brutality. I think a lot of people have been woken up to that issue in the past two years, especially people who aren't of color who haven't faced it themselves. You know, we just saw Nike come around and make Colin Kaepernick the face of their anniversary. I think we see a lot of people protesting for the first time. Do you view that as a positive reaction to what's happened since Trump has gotten elected? Do you think people are, you know, more awake to what's happening in the country now? Yeah, I think that people now understand the stakes. You know, there are a lot of people when the election was happening, you know this because we all, you know, we all have pods, is that there are a lot of people who were like, oh, the president doesn't really matter. Like everything is local, the president. And now people realize that that was just wrong, right? That like your friends are being deported, like these programs are being ended and that is the president of the United States doing it. So I think that that is like a complete 180. I think that people like understand what's at stake and are trying to figure out what they can do about it. And I think that that is real. Uh, you know, with Colin and the Nike ad, I think that it's interesting to see Nike sort of stand up to the NFL in some ways. And like, I don't know if you saw, but they released a statement. They released a, the NFL's first statement that mentions Colin. I like, just that. came out yeah, on the heels of the ad. So I think that that is like interesting to see brands step up and say like, actually all of this crazy stuff happening in the world negatively impacts our employees. And like, we got to figure out how to stand in that space too. So I'm hopeful it'll lead to real change. We got to get out of this Trump administration though. It's like, I hope we we need the midterm so we can like slow this down. Yeah, it's um, it's so hard. You know, Ezra Klein made this point. A lot of people have made this point that it's so hard to just keep be, to continuously be confronted by obvious and painful truths again and again. The unfitness and radicalism and racism of the president being sort of thrown in our face over and over again. Now with the Woodburn book, but you know, you you mentioned being hopeful. Your first chapter in the book is is about hope and discusses what it means, like what hope actually represents beyond just an idea you know, about about work and about working towards a better future, you know, at a time, I think when a lot of people do feel cynical, you know, I'm excited to hear from the book. But but how do you encourage young people who do feel excluded to get involved? Yeah, you know, I think about hope as a belief that our tomorrows can be better than our today's. And I think about all the people on the street, all the people at these hearings, all the people running for office, all that's hope work. That is people engaged in knowing that the world that we live in today is not the best world that we can live in, but like we can usher in that best world. We have to build it. We have to dream it. We have to imagine it. And that really is like the focus of uh, the first chapter of the book. And that's like the fuel, I think, that guides me in my work. The first sentence is I learned hope the hard way. I learned hope getting dragged out of a police department by my ankles and being in the middle of the street, not being able to stand still. Like those are the places that I've realized, like I'm doing this work because I know that like we can fight for something better and that something better is possible. So my advice to people is you you might not always feel like you want to do it, but there's payoff in the end and we can actually get these gains in our lifetime. If they can rearrange the whole tax code and rewrite the tax code on scrap paper in the middle of the night, we can actually like do this work on our side well too. Well, my advice to people, DeRay, is that they should buy your book because it's informative and beautifully written. I, I have just being honest, you know, I, you know, I've always, I've known you to be an incredibly smart and impressive person, but it was so fascinating to read you writing in your voice because 
you're a wonderful writer and it's worth it for people to uh, buy the book with money, you know? <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for buying the book. Please buy the book at DeRay.com uh, or a bookstore. Buy it at a bookstore too. A bookstore, wherever books are sold. John introduced the term to me yesterday of online marketplaces. He said online marketplaces. And I was like, what, what is this? Are, when are we, when did we start referring to them like that? But that's okay. That's the first time you ever heard that. I mean, just like not just saying Amazon. Like, why can't we just say Amazon? Let's all be honest. All right. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, we are going to have an excerpt from DeRay's book that he narrated from that first chapter about hope. Thanks, DeRay, for being here. Thank you. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Daily Harvest. Please share what's keeping you busy these days. Summer fun, preparing for back to school season, etc. For me, it's... um. Uh, crops. For me, it's uh, anxiety about uh, impending workflow. Oh. Huh. For me, it's nothing. I'm not busy. Oh. Anyway, but when I need healthy fuel fast, I know exactly where to turn Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you have to do is add water or your favorite milk to your cup, then just blender heat. Daily Harvest's new savory harvest bowls are an amazing healthy dinner that's faster than takeout. Wow. And their new plant-based, ready-to-blend protein smoothies actually have me excited about gym days. Hmm. I'm always excited you about know, gym days. You know, he's always excited about gym days. <laughs> no, you're not. I see you both at the gym, and you want to hate when we end it all. <laughs> you know, I don't really have a gym problem. I have a food problem. No, look, the guy on Friday is really mean. Hmm. Yeah, he is pretty mean. Each of their dessert-inspired flavors packs in at least 10 grams of protein with no chalky powders. Uh, you know what sounds pretty good? What? The chocolate and hazelnut protein shake. I think I would like to eat that before and after the gym. What is that? It's like a Nutella, but for your body. You know, good Nutella. <laughs> Muscle Nutella. You know, decent Nutella. Daily- Nutella that cares what happens to you. <laughs> Daily Harvest cups are portable, so you can fuel up on the go. Ugh, I hate those cups that are cemented to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CROOKEDCONVOS to get three cups free in your first box. Ooh. That's promo code CROOKEDCONVOS. For three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Lumosity. Lumosity. I knew that. I've been using it. Being a lifelong learner isn't just something teachers say to cast a bigger vision for disenchanted fifth graders. <laughs> Learning your multiplication tables should not be the last time you challenged your brain. Ooh, Six very times luxury. nine. Oof, what is this? Six times eight. eight. 48. 48. Six times nine. 54. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) Lumosity is the world's most popular brain training program because it's a fun way to train your brain with games created by scientists and designers. Science brain! Sign up for Lumosity and take the free 10-minute fit test to get your baseline scores on three games and see how you compare to others your age. That could go badly. Yeah, really. With Lumosity Premium, they will even design a personalized training program from their 60-plus cognitive games and activities to challenge your key abilities like memory, speed, and problem solving. And planking. And planking. (laughs) They (laughs) They give you plenty of high fives along the way and you can challenge a balanced set of skills or isolate one skill you want to focus on. Cool. Lumosity's brain training is built on a foundation of research and expertise to help you feel confident about your mental abilities. <laughs> Get started today. Go to, I think I feel like Trump could use some Lumosity. No? Yeah. Trump, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. Lumosity. <laughs> my Get place. started today. Go to Lumosity.com slash Crooked Convos to sign up for the free fit test plus a 30% discount off Lumosity Premium. Mm. Spelled L-U-M-O-S-I-T-Y dot com slash Crooked Convos to take your free fit test and get 30% off Lumosity Premium. Lumosity.com slash Crooked Convos. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. 
that's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. One on hope. The impossible is the least that one can demand. James Baldwin. I learned hope the hard way. It was a hot day in St. Louis County in September 2014, and I'd spent the majority of the afternoon sitting on the floor in the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department headquarters. At 9 o'clock in the morning, 20 of us had filed in and plopped down in four rows in the center of the station. The police began to gather around us as hundreds of our fellow protesters turned the corner and were now standing outside the building demanding to get in. When it looked like the officers might forcibly remove us, everyone began to link arms. Everyone but me. It was my role to record and interpret as much as possible everywhere we protested so we could consistently tell the truth to the outside world. So I sat in the front of the stacked rows, unlinked. I was trying to capture as much as I could on my phone and tweet about it in real time. I wanted to be able to tell the story of the only successful sit-in of a police department since the protests began. We were repeatedly told to move, and we refused. It wasn't long before the officers' growing impatience turned to action. I heard the screaming before I realized that we'd been completely surrounded. It all happened so fast. I looked over and saw a mother trying to stop an officer from driving his thumb into the pressure point behind her daughter's ear. And when I looked up, there was an officer standing directly over me. She told us that we needed to leave immediately. Again, we refused to move. And then she rested her hand on her taser. I'll never forget how time stopped as I watched her move her hand from her waist to her taser to her gun almost like it happened in slow motion. Suddenly, I was on my back, gliding across the industrial floor as an officer dragged me to the entrance of the building by my ankles. Why are you doing this? I asked as a second officer twisted my arm behind my back. His face fell flat, like he snapped out of the hostility, and instead of a verbal reply, he just let my arm go, picked me up, and pushed me out the door. It was one of two moments of late when death has felt near, and when death is near, so too is the question of how. How did I get myself into this situation? Should I have made a different choice? I live off the beaten path in Baltimore City in a house that people don't wander to. If you come to the house, you've made a decision to be at the house. I've been using ride-sharing apps since I totaled my car in the protests in October of 2014, and I was using one on this day in 2017. I saw the car in the driveway, and I paused. But I was already home, so I felt like I had to get out of the car. And when I got out, the driver in the other car got out, too. And in that moment, the calmness came over me like it did in the St. Louis Metro Police Department. I've received many death threats over the years. The FBI has visited my house. My phone has been hacked. Cities have hired surveillance companies that have deemed me as a serious threat. And a movie theater was evacuated because I received a threat that I'd be shot during a screening. But none of those things shook me like the day when the car was in front of the house after work. The driver walked toward me, and I just stood still. I can't even say that I was afraid in that moment. I was still and focused, a stillness and focus that I've known only a few times. I followed his hands and body with my eyes, waiting, ready, anxious. He reached out his hand and gave me a packet of papers. I looked down and realized that I had just been served with the lawsuit. I was sued personally by five police officers, three in Dallas and two from Baton Rouge. I hadn't been physically served in any of the lawsuits except this one, on the day the guy showed up in my driveway. After he handed me the papers, he asked to take a photo, and with that, he was on his way. 
These moments force me to think about the why of this work, the fundamental question of whether it is worth the cost. But we all know the risks of protesting, and we choose to meet them head on. There were so many times in the early months that I was met with an almost paralyzing fear, but as I watched the officer in the police station, I realized that, for what felt like the first time, I wasn't afraid. It was in losing the fear of death that I began to understand faith and hope. Faith is the belief that certain outcomes will happen, and hope is the belief that certain outcomes can happen. So when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, He is speaking from a place of faith. He is confident that justice is inevitable even if it may come in another lifetime. Faith is often rooted in the belief in a higher power, in God. Hope, on the other hand, would mean reframing this statement to say, the arc of the moral universe is long and it will bend toward justice if we bend it. Faith is rooted in certainty. Hope is rooted in possibility. And they both require their own different kinds of work. The work of faith is to actively surrender to forces unseen, to acknowledge that what is desired will come about, but by means that you may never know, and this is difficult. That faith is rooted in certainty does not mean that it never wavers. Indeed, it is not a static belief but one based on trust, and one's trust is not easily conferred. Hope is a belief that our tomorrows can be better than our todays. Hope is not magic. Hope is work. I'm not certain that a new world, one of equity and justice, will emerge, but I'm certain that it can emerge. I've heard people speak of hope in rather different ways. The first is with statements like, I hope that we win, or I hope my loved one diagnosed with incurable cancer will somehow make it. When we hope in this way, we choose optimism. We believe that perhaps the seemingly extraordinary miracle is within our reach, that it is yet possible. At times, though, when we hope in this manner, we surrender our agency to luck or divine intervention. We acknowledge our limitations in impacting the eventual outcome and rest on optimism as our key act, the primary tool in our toolkit. When we talk about being hopeful for a future in which black bodies are not considered weapons, it's so easy to deride hope as a platitude, or a nice thought, or even as an enemy of progress. Yet there's another side to hope. Hope can be a driving force. Consider the notion of hope in relation to the way we use dream, a word with a similar dual use. On the one hand, a dream can be the fanciful whimsy of a child, free to explore any one of countless possible realities, completely unmoored from present-day circumstance. But dreams have another, more actionable meaning. Indeed, they can be a firm, dynamic vision of where you want to go. I think this is why we still celebrate the dream of Dr. King and why parents urge their kids to dream. Hope is the precursor to strategy. It powers our vision of what roles we must play in bringing about a desired goal, and it amplifies our efforts. I'm not surrendering to luck. I'm not surrendering to a blind faith that things will just get better. I'm reminded that to have faith that a world of equity and justice will emerge does not relinquish one's role in helping it emerge. This is a way to use hope as faith's companion, and vice versa. When my faith is challenged, it is a belief that things can change that keeps me moving forward. And when my hope feels futile, I rely on faith to push forward and help reclaim my certainty. I've heard critiques of the current wave of activism that are fundamentally critiques of faith. There are people deriding this notion that the world will be more just and that we will end white supremacy. It is those people who look back on the legacy of resistance that we have inherited and challenge its outcomes. The police are still killing people, the argument goes, and the racial wealth gap is as big as it has been since the 1920s. Furthermore, the public education systems have failed black and brown kids throughout the country. 
Thus, the danger in believing in the inevitability of change cannot be overstated. The faith they critique, the belief in unnamed forces that will bring about change, is blind faith, and they are right to be critical. But that is not what animates our striving. Protest is the work of hope. Protest at its core is telling the truth in public. It is confrontation and disruption rooted in the acknowledgement of a future that has not yet come, but that is possible. The work at hand is hope work. I do not blame anyone who refuses to hold hope in their hands when justice has slipped through our fingers too many times. Many black and other marginalized people have expressed the unfairness of being asked to carry the burden of hope, that it's come to feel compulsory for these groups to do so. To this I say that the absence of hope, not its presence, is a burden for people of color. If anything, blackness is a testament of hope, a people born in and of resistance, pushing against a tie meant to destroy, resting in a belief that this world is not the only one that can be. I think that faith is actually the burden that people have misnamed as the burden of hope. It is not our task to carry the burden of faith, but is often our choice. My faith wavers often. I and others have fought and lost. I've seen people crushed by the weight of the opposition. I've seen the best of intentions transformed into self-interest or terror. And I've seen optimism blind people and keep them from addressing the realities of the horror they face. But when my faith wavers, my hope carries me through. I think that in some ways, the hope of black people is the fuel for this nation. That it is the creativity and ingenuity of a people who have had every reason to choose resignation, but have not, that fuels both the culture and cadence of this American life. Freedom is not only the absence of oppression, but is also the presence of justice and joy. We are fighting to bring about a world that we have not seen before. Make America Great Again is a familiar evocation of a mythical time of human flourishing in our nation's history. What is posited as a time of greatness was, for many, a time of rampant racism, xenophobia, misogyny, and sexism. We have never seen a world of equity, justice, and joy. We are trying to create something altogether new, and it is impossible to create something new in the absence of hope. I would even go so far as to say that many who decry hope the loudest could eventually be the most hopeful among us. They are doing the pre-work of hope, deconstructing our current realities. But they are afraid that they may fail, so they hesitate to build. Or they fear that the work will be so long-term that it will result in disappointment, and they are trying to guard against disappointment, so they challenge. They explore and unpack, but are slow to create. And they publicly decry any efforts to bring forth a better world because of the possibility and weight of disappointment. To them, it sounds fluffy and hollow. But a belief in tomorrow has never been hollow. It wasn't hollow to those who fought before us. We do not stand in the shadows of those who came before us, but in their glow. And that glow exists because they put forth a vision of the future and they fought for it. We did not invent resistance or discover injustice in August 2014. We exist in a legacy of struggle, a legacy rooted in hope. We have a hope rooted in a belief that as sure as hands have made the buildings that dominate the skylines of our cities, hands have made the institutions, practices, and customs that perpetuate racism and injustice that permeate those same cities. What is made by human hands requires maintenance. Buildings can be torn down and built over. Parking lots can become parks and vice versa. Institutions can evolve, change, or be dismantled. We can win. And if we do, it will be because more of us understand that this is a system of choices, and we have learned how to build power to make new choices. When they say that power can seize nothing without a demand, they are reminding us that the demand has to create something new, a new power dynamic, a new reality. And hope is the fuel of this demand. Hope is not magic. Hope is work. Let's get to the work. 
DeRay, thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing that excerpt from the first chapter of your book. You know, we'll talk to you soon. I'm glad we did this. Boom. And remember, buy it at DeRay.com. Buy it at DeRay.com. That's cool that you just got DeRay.com. You know, no squatter on there. Nope. (laughs) I'm John Lovett, and thanks for listening to Cricket Convos. And uh, come back next week. We'll have another just stellar episode coming your way. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.